Welcome to Season 2 of The Morning Glory Project. I'm your host, Betsy Graziani-Fassbender. And on this podcast, I bring to you guests of a lot of different kinds, survivors and thrivers, innovators and trailblazers, folks that have fallen down and gotten back up, folks that have been knocked down and gotten back up. Basically, I ask every single guest the same question. How did you get through what you got through? And the reason I ask that is because I think that when we share those stories, we gain empathy for those different than ourselves. We gain understanding from those whose circumstances may resemble our own. But we all get to walk away with a little notion of how we might get through whatever we're going through. I hope you enjoyed these stories and feel free to go to themorningglory.project.com to find any past episodes or to listen to one again and feel free to share us out with your friends and give us a reviewer like we sure do appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Today I welcome to the Morning Glory Project Julie Ryan McGue. She is an adult domestic adoptee and an identical twin. In her new memoir, Twice a Daughter, a search for identity, family, and belonging, she tells the story about finding out who you are, where you come from, and making sense of it. At 48, Julie was sent for a breast biopsy. And for Julie and her twin sister, this event highlighted what they could not know about themselves due to their closed adoption. What followed was a five-year search to locate birth relatives who could provide family medical history, background, and genealogy. What began as a quest for information ends with the discovery of family, literally right next door. Julie Ryan McHugh, welcome to the Morning Glory Project. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for asking me to be on your show, Betsy. So you had a, a breast biopsy, and, and I've read your story, and you had a number of other medical matters. Tell me about that moment. And it was actually, if I'm understanding and remembering correctly from my reading, it was your husband that kind of nudged you into this search. Yes, I had um, I had just walked in the door uh, from the hospital with my prescription, and I went into my husband's office, and he sat across from me um, in his desk, and he asked how everything went, and he never got up from his chair. And it, it ignited in me some frustration and some rage, but then he asked me, are you ready to get at your adoption history? And I thought to myself, really, now? <laughs> Just after I've had a breast biopsy, we're going to talk about this now. Um, but we had talked about it off and on through our marriage. And at that point, it, we had been married for over 30 years. And it was always just a curiosity because I was from a closed adoption. I knew that the laws needed to change before I could access any information. At one point, I had tried uh, by sending a letter to Catholic Charities and the response I got back was nothing could be shared at this time. So my frustration with my husband, who was instigating this search, was more than um, just his insensitivity. It was, how am I going to find anything now? I've already tried once before. So his timing wasn't ideal in that moment. But his motivation, if, I, if I'm understanding, and help me if I'm not, it sounds like his motivation was not only for your health and your concern, but you have children. And he was concerned about their biological inheritance, right? Exactly. Um, I have four children and my twin sister with whom I was adopted has two children also. 
So the fact that we didn't have any medical history affected more than just me. Mm. And his impetus was to see maybe things had changed if by some stroke of luck, Catholic Charities would relent. And from that day forward, we learned a lot of things about adoption search angels, uh, different venues to get at the information. And fortunately from my sister and I, the laws were changing in Illinois. So we were hitting our search at just the right time. So prior to that change, a closed adoption was really closed. Can you explain a little bit about, for those who are unfamiliar with what exactly a closed adoption is? It, it means that once the uh, ado- the birth parents sign their relinquishment papers, their identities and their medical history and their background is completely shut off from the adoptee and the adoptive parents. So when my parents picked my sister and I up uh, at the orphanage in Chicago, they were giving no information about my sister and I. In fact, my mother asked the um, Sister Mary Alice, you know, can you tell me a little bit about these girls? And she said, do you want these kids or not? And my mom Mm. said, yes, I do. And she said, then there's no more questions. So my parents knew nothing about us and we knew nothing about our our background. And we assumed the uh, cultural family background of my parents. We just assumed we'd been matched into a German and Irish family. And that's probably what our background was. And little did we know. (laughs) Well, and I also want to clarify, too, one of the things that really touched me about this story, Julie, is, of course, not only what it must be like to not know your biological history and not know the circumstances of your conception and birth and all of that, but also that you have compassion for virtually everybody in this story compassion for the birth mother and whatever her circumstances might be, compassion for your own adoptive parents who had some challenges around this, and also compassion for yourselves, you and your sister. Then the additionally intriguing factor of your story is that you're a twin as well. So you had a companion in this search every step of the way that was really interesting to me. I had a built-in support system with my sister. Uh, We were like-minded in our pursuit of finding our history, but also in how we dealt with uh, the rejections and the disappointments along the way. Uh, We supported each other, and I knew she felt what I felt. And having that system built in was very helpful. I also did at one point in the search, uh, sought some help with an adoption support group. And that experience of being in the same room uh, with uh, adoptive parents, birth parents, and adoptees, we talked about our stories. We talked about where we were in our, our search journey, the disappointments we felt. And I think that experiencing of uh, being able to verbalize the disappointments and the traumas and, and share it with other people who had the same experience I grew comfortable with the roles that a birth parent plays and an adoptive parent plays. And I think that helped make the story deeper beyond just my story. It allowed me to see those different aspects in the adoption triangle 
um, with more empathy. And I think that it helped the story go in a different direction. So in keeping with that empathy, one of the things that I found intriguing about your story was that you knew from from very young that you and your sister were adopted. It was not a secret in your family. You you were adopted into a loving family. Your parents were beautiful people. And this was not a Harry Potter. You were not, you know, in a cupboard under the stairs or anything. You know, there was no nothing like that. There was no dark horror that you were trying to overcome. It was just this kind of not only the medical curiosity, but the the natural curiosity about who am I? Where did I come from? What were the circumstances? That seems natural. But what was interesting to me is that your mother, your your adoptive mother, had always said, of course, if you want to do a search, I'll help you. But then when it came up that you wanted to actually really do it, things changed. Can Can you say a bit about that? I think I always suspected, Betsy, that if I chose to search for my birth family, that she would be disappointed. Despite the fact that she had said differently. Yes. I think I suspected that that would be her reaction, although I was hoping it wouldn't be. Um, I didn't want a situation to come up where she was going to make me choose. Um, And she didn't. She didn't ask me to choose. She just expressed her unhappiness. And I think in the long run, uh, what happened in my relationship with her through this search journey was that she, I needed to prove to her that I viewed her as my mom and nothing would change that. And we have gotten to that place. I also knew that my father, who um, was a big part of the story, was going to be working on her to soften her perspective on the search. And There's another scene in the book where I speak with the social worker at Catholic Charities about the same thing. And she explained to me, this is the day your parents never wanted to come. Mm. The reckoning that they had to do, my parents as a couple and me with them, was a growth experience. Very recently, I was invited to speak about my book, um, and it was very close to my mom's home. She lives in a senior living complex. And I asked if she wanted to come with me. And she said, oh, why, of course I would. Hmm. So I, I took her along with me. And then afterwards, we got in the car and I said, well, what did you think? And she said, I am so proud of you, not just because you're an author, but because you speak so well of how complicated this adoption search experience has been. And I appreciated the fact that she had nothing but good things to say, but I also appreciated her support by being there and wanting to come. And that wasn't always the feeling that you had during the search. So I'm really pleased for the happy ending of that, (laughs) the resolution with your mom. But I can feel as I read the story, both your frustration with her because she, she got really... Prickly. prickly. <laughs> That's the word. She, she got really prickly about it. And, and it put a strain on a relationship that hadn't really been there so much before. You speak also of obstacles 
that you faced. So here you were going through this journey and this was not a, this was not a straight stair step march up to find what you needed to search. There were many times when it looked as though, even though the laws in Illinois were changing, that there, there were rejections and obstacles along the way that kept you and delayed the discovery over time during which also you were having to deal with your mom being prickly about it. <laughs> so, and, and Hannah, you didn't, I'm, I'm gathering that you didn't feel like you could confide in her about how hard it was or exact details or what was going on because it, it caused her pain. Mm-hmm. That is very true. But I did have another mother figure in the, uh, which was my mother-in-law, my husband's mom. And she was tremendous support to me. In fact, I found a little note that she'd written me uh, the other day, and I it, it really made me tear up because I remember the the weekly phone calls with her, mm-hmm. and she was not only excited about um, the search journey, but she was also excited about me writing about it. Mm-hmm. And often she'd say, "Well, she was a um, she taught in reminiscence writing at a senior center, so she was used to coaching people." that were older on writing their stories. And she kept saying to me, you're writing about this, aren't you? Are you writing little pieces of dialogue? Are you writing where you were and how you felt about these things? And uh, in, in writing the story a few years after it happened, I had all of this material that I put down on my mother-in-law's um, instigation. And it was really the foundation of how the the book came together. Well, what a treasure trove she gave you with that with that noodling and nudging that she she did. I, I think as a coach and as an author and as a as a writer myself, I've worked with lots of people in their memoir writing and and often trying to remember things and when it happened and what was the order and how how come I didn't write this down is kind of a plague. So it's 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 truly a kind of support that's immeasurable to have had somebody in the moment saying, you're writing this down, aren't you? That's quite a gift. It was. It was a gift uh, in retrospect, but it was a gift at the moment too, just to know that here was another um, mother figure that I could rely on for guidance and just another person in the big support system that all adoptees need if they're going to walk down this road that is uh, very uncertain and usually there's quite a few roadblocks to get through. Mm. Well, you mentioned a moment ago the adoption triangle, which I assume is the adoptee, the adoptive parent, and the birth family. And it seems that, I mean, if we just logically think about it, of course that's a triangle, but also I started really thinking about the, the pain in each of those three corners the pain of of the biological mother who was forced either by circumstances or decisions or whatever it might be, the curiosity and feeling of loss and wonder and all of that unknown on the part of the adoptee. And then there's the birth family. Can you speak to a little bit of what you think was the pain behind your mom's prickliness? There, well, there's loss for everybody in that adoption triangle that you speak about. Uh, for for my mom, the my adoptive parents, they had been unable to conceive before they decided to go down the road for adoption. Um, so there was the loss of 
you know, being able to uh, raise biological children. And then all of a sudden there wasn't. Um, the three oldest of my family were adopted. And then by magic, my my parents were able to conceive and they had three biological children. So we grew up in a very blended family, if you will. But the youngest of that set of biological children died very suddenly uh, when I was a teenager of, of, a, of a heart problem. And so there was loss in our family. There was the fear of losing another child, but two children because of us being twins. And I think that played into her reticence about the search. She really did fear losing us to our birth mother and to another family. Even though you were 48 years old. Even though, even though. You know, I think about that. I think about how some wounds take so very, very, very long to heal. Right, right. Hmm. Well, you you demonstrate a lot of compassion for her, though there are moments when it, you're clearly irritated with her as well. It's not all peachy, <laughs> so I don't really <laughs> imply that. The other thing that came up to me is the theme of Catholicism in the story, because the the church has been such a big part of so many adoptions, not only in the country but around the world, and and even recent political controversy about such things. And so it seemed that the church itself was part of the obstacle to your discovery. Does that sound accurate to you? Yes. I I think it's, uh, I think it's both an obstacle and a facilitator in one sense. It was an obstacle because it was the holder of the secrets uh, in our adoption file through Catholic Charities was my birth mother's real name, uh, where she was from, uh, her family specifics, how many children in her family, her heritage, all that information was in there. And because of adoption law, that they were unable to release it to me. But one of the greatest gifts that Catholic Charities did for my sister and I was not separate twins. Mm. And that's a long held policy um, that continues. And uh, I'm very grateful for the fact that they did not. We've all heard and read about horror stories of triplets being separated. And so I give Catholic Charities a lot of credit for for that. Well, and, and the secrecy was the law. It wasn't even just the issue of the church, correct? Correct. And also you have to consider um, my birth mother entered into the agreement with Catholic Charities with the understanding that her privacy would be protected. And because of that, they had to honor uh, her wishes. And even as part of the story, the reader will find out that she wasn't happy to be found. And we had quite a lot of issues dealing with that. Well, so tell me, that's one of the moments in the story when you think you've broken through all of the the legal barriers and information barriers, but then there's the choice of the biological parent, whether or not to accept or reject. And that seems like that might've been one of your darkest moments. Without a doubt, it was. There was other things going on in my life at the time, uh, which I talk about in the book, uh, a young friend of my daughter's 
We were worried about her well-being. And all of that happened in one day. Uh, the news from my birth mother and the news about this young lady. And I think they'll always be intertwined in my mind. And it was a very dark day. Uh, I certainly went through all the stages of grief, anger, denial, disappointment, all of it. Uh, But again, I had the support of my sister. Uh, While she felt all of those emotions, because I was actually doing the work, the legwork, I think she was able to be more consoling to me than I was to her. Hmm. Certainly, I, because of the counsel from social workers that I was working with, I held out hope that she, my birth mother would change her mind about contact with us. And I think, I think that hope um, really got me through. Where do you think you got that? Because there wasn't any indication that that was the case, really. I really believed that because I had waited so long to find her and that we were asking for health history, that she would understand that there was something going on that she needed to help out with. Um, ultimately, she did make that choice, but she she had her own issues that she was dealing with, and which I didn't know about, and neither did the social worker. Uh, and that is one of the lessons that I that I like to say to folks that are contemplating the same kind of journey that I took. You know that you're ready to find somebody, but they're not always ready to be found, mm. and the rejection or denial or uh, dismissal has more to do what they are dealing with in their life than you as a person. Um, And I believe that that's true in most cases. You know, it, it brings it back to, again, that, that notion of compassion, but I'm also thinking one of the spiritual sources or, or inspirational sources I really love is the Four Agreements by um, Don Miguel Ruiz. And and one of the agreements is, don't take things personally, that you had this ability to to understand that your biological mother's needs and life and choices were not aimed to harm you. They were because of the circumstances in which she was living. Yes. And I think I understood um, also intuitively because I was a mother of four children and she was a mother of two, that she was going through some emotions that I could understand, the wanting to connect, but the inability to do so for whatever reason, because it was a relationship, because of the history with my birth father, all the things that I didn't know. I knew she was struggling and um, as I was struggling and I, I just kept hoping and praying that she would figure out how to get through that and do the right thing. You know, I'm, I'm a stepmother and technically a stepmother slash adoptive mother. My husband was widowed young and So the mother of my first son, his first mother passed away. And so I didn't have any of the blind adoption kinds of circumstances by any means, but I found myself as I was reading your story, trying to imagine that because I love this boy. He's my son. 
he, I, I have also a, a son who was born later, who's biologically mine. But when people ask me, you know, I have two sons, it's, it's not even a question, but I've never had to face the threat of somebody else claiming him mm-hmm. because she's gone not that I'm happy about that, mind you, but, but that it's a different set of circumstances. And so I tried to, to wonder what, what would it be like if suddenly this son whom I had taken on as my own was suddenly looking up his quote, real mom, right? Mm-hmm. We've always been candid. I, I've welcomed memories of his mother and all of those things. So we don't have that as an issue in our family, but I, I was able to really understand what it must've felt like for your your adoptive mom to feel threatened by that. I I think um, it was the issue of sharing. Um, It wasn't a surprise, certainly that I had another mother and in my heart, I always felt, well, I have two mothers one that I know very well and one that I don't. And so I was hopeful that we could all play nice in the sandbox together, that we could be, a beautifully blended family. Um, certainly people that divorce and there's new spouses and other brothers and sisters, some of that m- people manage that very well. And I was hoping that that would happen. Mm. Without spoiling the ending, let's just say that we do manage to get there. And uh, that moment, however it turned out, uh, by the grace of God or whatever, um, was a very healing moment because we all realized we had the same goal in mind, which was building a family. And what does that family look like? Does it look like just the people you're raised with? Or does your family include other people that you are related to but never knew? Well, the the book... Julie reads like a detective novel in a certain way. You're kind of waiting for the clues and waiting for things to happen. And here you are going about your day and social workers would call or you'd get a piece of mail or something would kind of unfold. And it's a beautifully written story. And I'm wondering as we, as we kind of close here, if someone is listening, who is either in the middle of or contemplating the search, or maybe has done it and has experienced closed doors, what resources would you like to share with them? Or what, what do you think got you through this and what resources might they be able to find? For somebody who is new contemplating this, I would say uh, make sure that you read as much as you possibly can uh, so that your expectations of what you might run into are clear. Certainly we don't want the, the worst possible scenarios to happen, but just to be aware of them to be in a stable relationship uh, with a spouse or a friend or what have you, and in a place in your life where there aren't other stressors, because this is one of the biggest stressors I've ever uh, been involved in. So those things would definitely be important. But I'd like to say to the, the people on the outside of the adoption triangle, and that was one of the goals in writing the book, is adoption is complicated. And if you're not in the middle of this adoption triangle, you don't always have the perspective of what any one of those roles feels like. Mm. And by writing the book, I hope that people on the outside take empathy and become better listeners and not judge. Um, An adoptee that searches for their birth relatives 
is not turning their back on their adoptive family. They're just trying to know who they are, all of who they are, what they were. Um, And for birth parents, not every birth parent wants to be found. And they should not be judged because they make that decision. They're making the decision that works for them in their life. So I hope that people look at the adoption triangle with more understanding and more empathy and that we have better conversations around what the adoption experience should be or should look like. Better listening serves a lot of good purposes, doesn't it? (laughs) You know, I find that when somebody is experiencing something that's troubling or unique this way, that sometimes people on the outside have lots of advice, (laughs) lots of coping and lots of opinions. And I'm always suspicious of a phrase that starts, why don't you just, Mm -hmm. because it can appear so simple. Well, why don't you just accept that you have a lovely family and, you know, don't you feel so lucky? And why wouldn't you just give up the search of if it's bothering your mother? You know, it it would be very easy, I think, to, to finger wag or why didn't your mother just, you know, get off of her pity pot and stop it? You know, I think it could be a a really scoldy kind of judgmental way of looking at things. But the way that you have done it, Julie, is with with compassion and with empathy and with information as well. I thank you for writing this book and for sharing this story with us today. I'm so grateful that you're here and, and grateful for it. You can find Julie's book, Twice a Daughter, a Search for Identity, Family, and Belonging by Julie Ryan McHugh, and that's M-C-G-U-E. And on it, I have to ask you one silly question. On it, there's a picture of you and your twin sister. Mm-hmm. In the story, you, you were originally told that you were not identical, but golly, you look identical to me, and you later discovered indeed that you are. Which one is you on the front, the one on the left or the right? I'm the one on the right. And a little clue <laughs> to the readers out there that the picture on the cover has a lot to do with how the book ends. Well, it's beautiful. Yes. The the last, I'm not going to give it away even a tiny, tiny bit because the last little bit of discovery that you make is just too juicy to spoil. I won't do it. <laughs> they, folks, can, folks can find that out when they read Twice a Daughter. Julie, thank you so much for being part of the Morning Glory Project. I'm so pleased to talk with you today. Thank you, Betsy, for letting me share the story with the folks. Julie Ryan McGew's story, Twice a Daughter, is a happy ending story in lots and lots of ways, but it's not a story without turmoil and angst and difficulty and disappointment and sorrow on its way. Isn't that kind of the best kind of story, really? Because that's what real life can be sometimes. And even though hers is a happy ending story, not all adoption searches are such, of course. I'm thinking about the extra bloom from my conversation with Julie, and it's interesting that she emphasized the need to listen, the need that if you are not in that adoption triangle, that you may have opinions or judgments or even suggestions that may not be so useful to the folks in that. And they may not come from a place of compassion. They may come from a desire to help and care and curiosity, but I've heard it said a thousand times, you know, we have two ears and one mouth and we ought to use them in that proportion. And that seems apt here, but not just in terms of folks going through adoption, but really 
anybody who's going through circumstances that are different than our own. Perhaps someone is of a different ethnic group or race. Perhaps someone is a different sexual orientation. Perhaps someone has a different struggle than you can ever imagine. It's easy to come in with ideas and suggestions and why don't you just? But what Julie suggested, listening. And of course, listening with compassion and kindness. It's pretty good for an extra bloom, isn't it? You know, it's such a simple, simple, simple lesson, but it's so easy to forget. It's one I have to learn and relearn all the time. Thanks so much for listening to the Morning Glory Project and to this particular story. I always appreciate your time and thank you for your attention to this. I hope that wherever you are, that you're finding your own way to bloom.